Welcome. You're listening to Heart of Mind Radio for the New Millennium. I'm Catherine Davis. And on today's program, I am going to be focusing on something that is really very, very critical, but not in a serious way. It's critical in that we can create for ourselves a ground within which to truly blossom who we are. And that ground of being is rooted in joyfulness. Yeah, joy. Joy is the thing. Joy is the connection, the feeling of being connected to your own source power, being connected to the Most High, being connected to that which you truly are. And there are certain things that we can do to open up that space for joy to occur in our lives. And one of them, of course, is to be kind. Be kind to yourself. Be kind in all things, in all ways, and under every single circumstance. Because truly, it is only our own behavior, our own thinking patterns, our own programming that puts us in a position where we are disenfranchised from that flow of energy, of joy that is very, very natural to us as human beings. This is the energy, this is the space, this is the way of being from the very beginning, from the source, from our first birth into this reality. We came into this reality with an excitement for experience, with a sense of wonder and curiosity. That describes us, of course, as infants, but it also describes all of humanity. We came into this reality with the idea that we were going to expand ourselves, we were going to learn, we were going to create, and we were going to um, bask in that process with a sense of joy and purpose. And whatever we might consider to be our work on this plane of existence, whatever we might consider to be our calling within this plane of existence. A lot of that has to do with the space-time in which we have found ourselves, in which we have been born. It has to do with the state and condition of this reality, of this world, of this existence. We may have come here at this time and may have come many times in order to bring forth, create something, correct something that is within this reality. But very often we get lost from that, um, that calling. We get lost from that purpose because we find ourselves sinking into the muck and mire of this reality. This is a reality that has become a place of great challenge 
and has become a place of extreme conflict and controversy and suffering. And this is real. This is something that we experience and that we witness. What I'm speaking of in terms of joy is not to dismiss what's happening in the world, but to rather tap into the fountain that flows within. In the beginning of the um, conquering of these lands that we call America, we had explorers coming into this field, this ground, this continent, looking for salvation, looking for the fountain of youth, looking for wealth and gold, and looking for all these things on the material realm. And the truth is that the Aboriginal people of these lands did have a real wealth, but that wealth was founded inside their being. Of course, this is essentially true of our entire human system. The first humans created on this planet existed within a connection, a direct connection to that fountain of joy. And I'm clear at this point that this is the first endeavor that we can do in our current life, in our current existence, is to plug back in to that fountain of joy. And it's important to realize that joy is not the same thing as happiness. Joy is something that occurs within and of itself. It has no cause. It has no cause, certainly within this world. It's something that flows through us and can flow out into the world. It can flow into our body experience. It can flow into our relationships. And it can flow through the workings of our mission, of our calling, whatever it is that we are here to engage in, to engage with. Our joy is something that's born in the realm of invisibility, in the realm of pre-existence, in the realm of the divine world, in the realm of the prime creator, the source creator. It is an expression of love. It is an expression of being, and it is the way of being. So one might ask, what is this joy, and how do we attain it? Well, we don't, actually. We reveal it. And that is really the way to think of it. It's in terms of revealing it, in terms of uncovering, excavating, to find that fountain that flows from the core of your natural being, from the core of your spiritual being, and from the core of your quantum being. So it is the actual flow of that life force which we experience and call joy. So with this in mind, I want to begin to explore 
how we go about creating this excavation? How do we go about uncovering this natural aspect, this natural facet, this diamond, this sun of joyfulness that exists in every single one of us? We are the ones who are empowered to make this difference, to be able to open up this window and let this joyfulness shine through. I have been very blessed, I would say, to have been able to find my way to this fountain of joyfulness accidentally, really as a consequence of my own self-searching, of my own journeying within the world, within the different experiences, being in different kinds of relationships, and have come ultimately to realize that there is no true satisfaction that can be found in the world. We have experience, yes, indeed. We grow, we learn, we love, we get angry, we have all of our emotions, but really everything that is gained through those experiences in the world are really being absorbed into the inner realm, being absorbed into the expanded realms, and that learning, that experience is processed into the cultivation of our soul, of our fullness of being. And the way that we as beings or entities in the world is nourished by the soul is through this joyfulness. This experiential love is how I would describe it. It is an act of love in the present and in the action of being alive. It's what being alive is for. It's the purpose of it. So, what prevents us from finding joy? This is where we can really begin to uncover and unravel the um, barbed wire the moats of the pitfalls that keep us from finding our joy. As we get started, one of the things that is very important for us to realize that the existence that we find ourselves in at this time is one of utter chaos. The world is currently in a state of chaos. There is a great deal of anger and violence, conflict and confusion. And we each are mired in this conflict and confusion. And in fact, we have been raised in such a way that we have absorbed this conflict and confusion. We have 
become sensitized to it so that very often we live in a world of reactivity. And it can be uh, thought of as like the age of war, the nuclear reactor, the age of conflict, the um, division into polarities, the age of self-deprecation in which we have to apply ourselves to standards from the outside in in order to reach a state of acceptance, in order to reach a state of success even. So as we begin to look towards creating our own sense of inner joy, We have to do two things. One is to be grounded in reality from the perspective of the world in which we live. I am not suggesting that we pretend that there are not difficulties in the world. I am not suggesting that we look out at people who are suffering and somehow pretend that this is not happening. Um, it's important that we not place blame on people who are suffering as if they somehow did something to deserve that suffering or somehow destined towards that suffering. This is not the case. We are living in a time period in which things have escalated to a maximum level and have been subjected to chaos for generations. So I am not speaking as if the conflict we're looking at right now is all that we have been subjected to. If you look at the known history of our recorded world, if you look at the conflicts of colonization and genocide of Aboriginal peoples, if you look at the conflict of world wars and subjugation of peoples, if you look at the conflict of religions and wars over philosophy and belief systems, all of this is a huge bundle of what we are faced with in our current physical existence. So the idea is not to pretend that this is not the case. The object is to recognize what is missing, what is underlying this cause of conflict, and what is underlying this sense of needing to be on top, needing to be right, needing to be listened to, needing to be heard, needing to be in control. It's a very tangled knot. It's not even a web. It's like a ball of thread that has been knotted and tangled and Um, increasingly so for many generations. 
So the objective here is not to go through that. It's impossible. Once we engage in that terrible, massive conflict um, of the world, it will absorb us into it. That is what happens in this matrix. We get absorbed into the nonsense, into the mess, into the um, low vibrational energies. So we see the problem. We understand that there is a problem. We see the suffering. We understand that there is suffering. So the objective is to, while not pretending that this energy of suffering doesn't exist, but to recognize it does. And in that recognition, allowing ourselves to create some distance, to create an expanse of self-created reality that gives us an alternative way of living in our world. And when I speak of joyfulness, I'm speaking of that not so much ignoring what's happening around, but purposely and purposefully turning away from it and taking our sight and bringing it to the within so that we can assure ourselves that we are connecting to that which will sustain, that which will ground us, that which will nourish us. And it's important to understand that we are not succeeding or triumphing by entering into and through the chaos. It may look so, but once we've entered into that chaos, we are becoming that chaos. We are supplanting the source within with the the conflict that we see all around us. So this becomes a very personal and a very intimate journey. And as we embark upon this journey, one of the things that we want to keep as a signpost. So when you're traveling down the road and you're traveling in dangerous territory, sometimes you'll notice there'll be a side of the cliff where there's a big drop-off point. And along the road, there will be a rail that will provide a guide for you. So you could crash through the rail and still fall down the cliff. But if you're mindful that there is a guide along the side of the road, then you can keep yourself steady on the road and not veer off into the abyss. And one of those key signposts is compassion. Compassion is the mechanism that allows you to sustain your humanity. It allows you to look upon suffering 
with a sense of care and concern and love, forgiveness. All of these things are woven into compassion. The key here is to also hold compassion for yourself, to ensure that you look upon yourself with a great deal of care and a great deal of love and create a space that is broad enough to have room for yourself to move within, to wiggle within, to make mistakes, to have successes, to be um, in a space of just not knowing, not knowing where to go, not knowing what to do, not having the answers, and not being held with your feet to the fire as if you should have all the answers. This is what compassion gives. It gives to yourself and allows you to give to another. So compassion is really the primary guide along the path. So whatever you're experiencing, whatever the engagement may be, if you are looking at another person, be it a homeless man on the street or woman, be it someone high up in a corporation in Wall Street, be it or some company that is polluting the earth, whomever or whatever the engagement, we need to have as that guideline a sense of compassion, enough openness to wonder what might have contributed to that person being in that place, either of suffering or of disconnection from their own humanity. We need that there so as not to be disconnected in such a way as that person that we may be looking upon, compassion. And the balance of compassion on the other side of the road is a sense of non-judgment. So it's kind of a, um, a positive and a negative. So when we hold as a primary tenet of our existence not to judge, not to judge another and not to judge yourself, so that if someone is doing something that you disagree with, well, certainly you can take action. You can speak up. You can bring forth a protest. You can run for a political office. You can engage with other people. There's many things we can do about things that need to change. But the idea is not to judge that thing or that person as evil or bad and look at it as a behavior, um, an experience, and an energy, an entity that is conducting itself in a certain way that is not how certainly you would choose to conduct yourself. But we want to stay away from making judgments because a judgment is a narrowing of our perspective and does not give room for us to explore the full meaning of that experience or the full meaning of that entity or the full meaning of an occurrence that's taking place in the world. 
Now, mind you, I'm speaking of a pathway into joyfulness. I'm speaking of opening the window, opening the portal that allows the energy of the source vibration to flow through you as naturally as your breath, to be as much a part of you as the DNA, as your cellular structure, as your organs, as your voice, as your mind. To be integral to your being is what joyfulness is meant to be. So we have these two signposts. On one side of us is compassion. So we ask ourselves, when we get into the rocky road and things are going on, that's what we check for. Am I being compassionate? Am I having compassion for myself? Am I having compassion in the situation? Am I having compassion for this person or entity I am dealing with? And the other side that we are looking at is judgment. Am I judging this person? Am I judging myself? Am I thinking bad of myself? Am I thinking wrong of myself? Am I telling myself that I'm wrong, I'm bad, I'm stupid? That is a judgment. Are we doing this to another? So these are the two things that we must keep at our side, on either side of us. These are our shields from um, the self-infliction of chaos and pain. This is what keeps us in that middle ground that allows us to be whole and complete. And this is what allows us to begin to have enough spaciousness within to explore that inner part of our being that will bring forth this fountain that flows from the deepest isness of ourself, of our being. what to do about the anxiety. And that's where I wanted to get into an understanding of the parasympathetic nervous system and how that works. So I'm not a doctor, so um, I'll have to bring on someone, a medical advisor that can speak more definitively about how this works. But the way I understand it is the vagus nervous system and Vegas means wandering. So that means that it travels all around your body. 
so the vagus nervous system carries impulses from the brain into the body, and then the body sends its data back to the brain. And so the vagus nervous system is connected to the thalamus, the, the amygdala, the um, other parts of the brain, which I'm not going to really speak of because I don't know enough about them, but it connects to the stomach, the small intestine, the large intestine. And, and the way this system works is that the, 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 the vagus nervous system is what educates the fight or flight system of the brain. So your body will have um, an experience of fear or danger, and that sensitivity will be transmitted through the vagus system of nerves to the brain. And the brain says, okay, when my person's heart beats at a certain level, it means that we're in danger. Or when my person's stomach starts to feel sour or... Um, then I know that there is something wrong and we have to take action. When my person's intestines begin to cramp or pain or loosen, whatever is going on, that signal goes back to the brain and the brain begins to accumulate these signals as um, symbols or symptoms of danger. And because we're we're dealing with an ancient system that's evolved through our all of humanity, danger in ancient times might have been a tiger in the woods, and in which case this system is useful. Uh, so, but when it becomes sort of a generalized milieu or atmosphere within which we're living, then it becomes toxic. So this feedback system begins to work unconsciously so that even with small triggers, it starts to pump up that anxiety and pump up that danger without really understanding why because there is no actual danger. We're just exposed on a daily basis to these conflicting narratives that we have to navigate. And so I have found that it's important to pay close attention to that reality. So, so even though I have been doing the work of the meditation and the breathing, there was something deeper that was persistent that caused me to have to deal with it on a continuous basis. And we can find signals within our how we respond to things. Now, I tend to be an internally contemplative person, so my response generally is internalized. 
Another person who might be more outgoing and engaged and not thinking too much about what's going on the inside, their response might be externalized. So it might have an impact on how they treat people, how they talk to people, how they judge people, how they need to control people to be safe. And to me, that looks like what's happening in social media where people are jumping on each other and dissing each other and ridiculing each other. And that could easily be driven by this internal system, parasympathetic nervous system, um, people being triggered to attack, to be defensive, like they would if there were a tiger or a lion in the brush. And um, But the other people become that, dangerous predatory thing and so I think that might be happening on a societal level with this toxic um, in interchange and um, exchange between people and um, family members and people fighting each other and condemning each other and shunning each other even on the family level it's an externalization of that anxiety then the internalization of that anxiety might look like, might look more like depression, it might look more like um, fatigue and other kinds of malaise, which is more the the way I had been experiencing it is that when I get when my anxiety kicks in, I just get really tired. And I've noticed over this period that even though I'm not doing a lot of exertion, I get tired at periods of the day and I just want to sleep. And I always feel better after the sleep, so I allow it. But, I, but it's a new behavior. Um, it's more than just taking a nap. It's an anxiety response. If I'm worried about something, if something um, is going on that creates a stressor, my response is to want to go to sleep. And then when I push through that, <clears throat> because I have to work, I do things, I work with people, I find that I push through the sleep and that leads me into a kind of depression or malaise where it becomes hard to feel motivated. And so I'll be working on a project, and then I'll start getting tired, and then I'll start napping. And then I, if I, as I push through it, then I start getting more depressed, and I start working on the depression and the anxiety, and I pull it up again. So it becomes a cycle, and it can be debilitating on a lot of levels, and I think for people who don't have tools to deal with it, it can be extremely debilitating. And so that's what I wanted also to um, think about today, um, to, to really just give some clues or some little exercises that we can do to um, short-circuit that build-up from the parasympathetic nervous system and begin to reprogram the, parasy the parasympathetic nervous system and the narrative that we have stored in our brain that causes us, that we go back to, of danger, something's wrong, I need to protect myself. And so 
for me, part of that was getting to the root of it. So with all that storyline of what was happening in the world and the insecurity and the changing narratives and all that had its impact. But what had its most impact was my personal experience. So I started to um, relate to that in context. So one of the things, one of the exercises that you can do because the um, the nerve cells are in the face, you know they're all in the face, and they they control our features or read our features. So if your body happens to be frowning, you're frowning. The nervous system is going to send back to the brain, "Uh oh, something's up." Or if your face is tight. That's going to send back to the brain, you know, something is building here. If your shoulders are tight and hunched and you don't have any opening in your neck and everything is tense in the neck and shoulders, that's a signal to the brain that you're in danger. And so what we can do is to begin to relax through the face and the throat and the upper chest using self-massage as well as we can do humming. So when you're humming, it creates a tone in your throat and in your head that calms the nervous system. And we can also use laughter or toning coming from the lower body and that begins to bring the nervous system back into balance. So while I've always have been doing these techniques, I started combining them with the core of my anxiety, which was grief from losing a brother, worry over a brother who's still quite sick but recovered, and worry over another younger brother who hasn't been impacted, but he has health issues. And... Um, I suppose thinking about my own vulnerabilities, such as they are, um, I'm probably healthier than my brothers by far, but that doesn't render me immune because stress is what brings you closer to vulnerability in disease. And so the this nervous system has also connected, has been connected to psych different psychological problems. It's connected to digestive problems. And it's, con it's connected to a lot of physiological issues rise out of having a system that is um, not functioning properly. It leads the vagus nerves um, are connected to inflammation in the body, connected to satiety or hunger, it's connected to fullness, it's connected to energy metabolism. So this is our feedback system that lets the brain know what the body is in trouble based on the signals it's reading. And what we have to do, therefore, is to retrain our brain, uh, the subbrain, 
and the conscious brain that it's not a signal of being in danger, but it's a signal for having to pull it down, having to respond to it, so that we need to have a consciousness about what's going on as we're doing our exercises so that we can um, retrain the brain and repattern the brain to understand that we're not living in a primitive world where we need be concerned of tigers, bears, but we're in a more advanced world where there is a an environment of chaos that's creating this anxiety and we can't um, quell it by lifting the anxiety level, which is what happens because it's the fight or flight. So your anxiety goes up, your hormones go up, and you have to act quickly or, um, you know, deal with the situation. And we want to train our brain to understand dealing with the situation is calming the vagus nervous system. So some, because we have all of these nerve endings in our face, one of the things that we can do is to stroke the face. So it's not so much massage or deep tissue massage. It's more of a gentle stroking as if you were petting your cat or your dog. It's a gentle, loving stroke that you are sharing your compassion and your love and your all that you have for your animals that we're it's easy for us to give to them. It's much harder for us to do that for ourselves. So if you just were to take a few fingers and stroke up the bridge of your nose, up towards the region of your third eye, and just gently stroke. But as you're stroking, we also want to breathe. So bring yourself into a comfortable breathing pattern where you're breathing in gently, exhaling gently, and just gently stroking up the nose. Another set of nerves are along the outer rim of the eyebrows. So you can gently stroke, maybe starting at the middle, and just trace your eyebrows from the center towards the temples. Remember to breathe. And then gently using all of your fingers, just massage the temples. Remember to breathe. And just lay both hands on your face on both sides. You know, think in terms of reaching out to your child or a loved one and taking their head in your hands. And we do that for ourselves, just taking the, the head into our hands with the hands extending slightly on both sides. And open your eyes 
and you want to see the edge of both hands and then look to one side for 30 seconds or so and look to the other side for 30 seconds or so and do that a couple of times staying within your comfort zone breathing comfortably but never holding the breath just breathing comfortably in and out and what that does is it begins to relax the nerves around the eyes and we can stroke along the eyes but an even better thing would be to just stroke up the cheeks into the temple starting down by the jaw putting fingers on both sides of your chin and just gently stroke up your face towards the temple you know and this is a very loving gesture you might do to a friend or a child gently stroking the face And also, these nerve endings go into the ears. You know that little flap in front of your ear? So we want to stroke that, but not press. Just stroking the skin, putting one hand in front of the ear and one hand, I'm sorry, one finger in front of the ear and another finger behind the ear. And just stroke up gently to calm the nerves in the ears. And another good thing is to smile because smiling sends a signal that you are doing okay. So we're not advocating a fake smile, but just do a soft smile, turning the lips out, opening the face a bit, relaxing the muscles. And that begins to deliver to the brain that everything's going to be okay. We can get through it. We can manage it. And then coming through the neck, you can stroke down from the neck from the jaw, stroking across the jaw and down into the neck. And that's a, just a few of the things that we can do. There are more. But I also wanted to touch on humming and toning. So you're in the privacy of your own space. Just allow yourself to hum for a few minutes, allowing the humming to be resonant enough that you can feel that vibration in your throat and in your face and in your head and in your brain. And just do a few hums. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Just allow that vibration to resonate through your body. And humming is something that we do naturally. You know, when we're sometimes when we're working or we're moving through something, humming could actually help to relax the nervous system, and that's one of its functions. Yawning also helps to relax the nervous system. So you could open your mouth like a yawn and just do a few sighing yawns, just opening the mouth. You know those yawns. And sometimes that helps to relieve some of the tension in the body and around the mouth. And another thing that we can do is to tone. And we tone with the lower body. So the toning is more effective in impacting the nervous system in the lower body. You know, connecting to the digestion and the intestines. So toning can also be a very powerful um, factor in relaxing the nervous system. And toning is easy enough. It's like doing an ohm, but do it from down and deep in your body. And there's a little bit of uh, humming in that tone as well, or ringing you could do. But make the sound with the lower body, allowing your voice to go deep and engaging the musculature of your lower body so that your diaphragm is moving with that tone and everything in the lower body is being toned with your sound. Another sound that I like, it comes from the Qigong practice, it's called, it's song, S-O-N-G. And its meaning is that it's um, establishing a golden beam of light between the center of the earth, the center of the cosmos, and your beingness, bringing a unity to earth, human, and cosmos, or heaven. It brings it together. And you use the tone song. So it's a little bit of a hissing at the top of it, which is a little bit of a kundalini sound. Then you go into a full O. And you close it with a ringing sound as much as possible, which is like the sound of a bell. And so it brings this tone to your body and it begins to balance your emotions and your nervous system. And it draws in that healing energy of the earth and cosmos into the process. So try a few of those tones of song. Song. And before running out of time, I also want to bring out breathing because breathing is something you could do in any moment in time where you're being triggered by something. So say you're a young black man driving a car and a police pull up behind you. You're going to be triggered. 
So, but in order to not go into that fight or flight mode, the thing you can do immediately is to engage in a breath process that will calm your nervous system. And there's a technique called square breathing where you inhale, hold, exhale, hold, inhale, hold and you can start tiny because maybe you're nervous so it's inhale for two hold for two exhale for two hold for two and then you gradually deepen it inhale for three and go through four of three and then you deepen it to four and then you deepen it to five and you just keep it regular. It doesn't have to be deep. You just want it to be a calm breathing process, even if it's just one count. So the idea is to use the count and the breathing to calm the nervous system and the amygdala are going to be uh, of the um, of this whole system is going to be sending back messages to your brain. Okay, we're calming down. I don't have to keep sending messages of panic. And then you bring yourself into a state where you can more readily deal with what's going on around you. And so those are just some clues. Uh, it went a little long, so um, we'll come back to this next time and I'll take some of your questions about it so please tune in to Heart of Mind Radio for the new millennium next week we'll go through a little deeper process and in that way um, you will uh, be able to uh, really really get things under control 